while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio News Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. My guest today is a new one. Although we have enjoyed other guests from the Heifetz International Music Institute, such as Benjamin K. Rowe, President and CEO, and Nick Kitchen, its Artistic Director, and even Daniel Heifetz, its Founder. But today... We are most happy to welcome a new reasonable voice from the Heifetz International Music Institute, Andrew Green, the Development and Marketing Manager. Welcome, Andrew, to the Reasonable Voices radio program. How are you? I'm great, Marcella. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Listen, uh, you know, there's so much to talk about, especially when uh, we have a brand new guest. Um, just a quick thing about just to remind folks who may have forgotten the mission statement, or at least part of it. The mission statement of the Heifetz International Music Institute is to develop the expressive potential of every performer through the innovative and cross-disciplinary Heifetz performance and communication training. The Institute teaches musicians to communicate the emotion of music beyond mere technical agility and beautiful playing to explore their creative potential. Now, I particularly love that because as uh, all my friends, which you will soon be from Heifetz, know that I am a director from New York. I direct a lot of musicals, and to me, as I used to say to my all my opera folks long before they put opera on TV, you can't just stand there and sing. It has to feel and mean something. So that's why I love the Heifetz. And now, Andrew... Where do we begin with you? Where are you from, and what brings you here, and how long have you been here? Well, I started with the Institute just back in December, so I'm coming up to my first actual concert and festival and Institute season this coming June. We'll kick off on June 29th. So as much as I've been kind of learning the culture and all the, you know, the, the wonderful sort of back workings of, of the Institute and seeing how the sausage is made, so to speak. Uh, I've, I've only barely dipped my toe in the water of really what makes the Institute so special, which is those, that, that emphasis on, on these 
extraordinary performances by these young musicians. Mm. So um, while while the the heart of the institute is during the, that summer season, we do some year-round programming as well mm-hmm. through our Hypus on Tour programs. And so I've been able to be a part of a few of those that we've done, including a 12-hour off program program that we put on in Stanton, where, where we're located back in March, as well as a couple of other events. So, you know, after getting myself up to speed a little bit on the Institute over those first few months and wrapping my head around it, it was when I finally experienced those first performances firsthand mm-hmm. that I said, oh, this <laughs> there are to something here. I, yes. I, kind of, I landed in sort of a special spot with this organization. And so my background, I grew up in New York City, and I've been working in the music industry for uh, over a decade now in all sorts of different capacities, from being a, a touring musician myself and songwriter to handling booking and management and PR for different bands, as well as acts that I've been a part of. I've always just sort of veered back and forth between kind of the artist side and the, the, the management side. Mm-hmm. And so and that's kind of the nature of being an independent artist, um, as I was, and more in the kind of folk and Americana, blues and jazz world. You, you sort of just have to learn everything on the fly and just, you know, you, you got to figure it out yourself. No one else is really going to do it for you. I mean, I've always enjoyed aspects of that work as well. So it, it wasn't like a, a total chore. Mm-hmm. But of course, that balance between doing that work in addition to the artistic work, it could be a difficult one to strike. And I moved to central Virginia, just a little bit east of Stanton, where the Institute is located. Moved down there from, from New York about seven years ago now. And just came across this opportunity, this job posting, back last fall and, and met with the, the staff, the administrative staff at HyFITS, and just seemed like a great fit. I really was what has made the transition great for me into this into the classical music world which frankly is a bit of a new experience for me mm-hmm. is the fact that they 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 kind of take nothing for granted with the way the music is taught and learned and presented the, that idea of it first and foremost being an expressive art form at all costs that that in some way i mean that harkens so so closely back to the way I always always approach music and the music that I've loved, be it you know blues and jazz, and I didn't I wouldn't always feel that same intense. And part of this is through my own naivety and inexperience with with the medium. But I always you know I could feel a little bit of a disconnect there when I was as much as I loved certain you know certain composers, certain performers in classical music. Once I really started to understand the ethos of what the institute was about. I realized, you know what, this is this is all coming, this is all being tapped from the same well as what I love about music. And exactly. Music really yes. is, is close to my heart. And so I, I think it's mutually beneficial as well because I, I can bring a little bit of an outsider's perspective. I, I didn't come up through the, uh, you know, the classical music conservatories. I didn't come up through that type of programming. But at the same time, I have quite a bit of experience everything from, you know, helping to book festivals and booking nationwide tours and doing radio promotion for artists. So at the end of the day, a lot of that kind of management and just administrative work is going to be the same no matter where you're applying it. But mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to have to have had these different experiences to, to bring to the table as well. 
Absolutely. And I love meeting artists who are not only good at their art, but appreciate, of course, the other disciplines of art, but also have a real sense of the the business aspect, something of the, the business of show business, if you will, something that helps us all hold it together. I mean, I was a, uh, for a while the rehearsal director for the, uh, back when it was called the American Opera Center at Juilliard, and I was hired specifically because of my background in music. They knew, okay, we, we want someone who can get it all organized and get the word out, but we also sure. want someone who understands the, the art itself, and you do. And it's quite a compliment. I know all those folks over at Heifetz, and I know that <laughs> if you are, um, you are their choice, because the job, we should talk a little about that too. The, you know, I, I see ads like this all the time, development and marketing manager, and I run very far in the other direction. But, uh, <laughs> you know, because I, I've, done, I've done that kind of thing, on the fringes of that anyway, and throughout my career, but it was never by choice, it was out of necessity. <laughs> so, so tell us more, what's your day-to-day description, what's your day-to-day agenda as a development and marketing manager in central Virginia for a, an institution like the Heifetz International Music Institute? Well, part of what I love about it is that it, it is so varied day to day, and you know whatever expectation I I start a morning with, thinking what my <laughs> the general outline of my my day is going to be, it's pretty reliable that it's going to take yeah. a, a hard left turn somewhere <laughs> in there, and I'm going to completely yes. pivot for the next six hour and, and handle some some task that comes up. But it's truly amazing the amount of work and coordination and preparation that gets done by this by this institute mm. for such a small such a small administrative team mm-hmm. I mean now that I've kind of peeked behind the curtain and I'm, and I'm part of the, the gears that are turning back there <laughs> I look around sometimes back in the office it's like wow it's really just basically just the four of us yes. making this whole thing hum <laughs> and you know that is a testament to to just the the structure that's been set up between between Ben Rowe as you mentioned before and our general manager Jennifer Rowe and our office administrator and tour manager and uh, I, I couldn't even begin to enumerate all the job titles she has mm. Anna Brontes just kind of makes makes the whole thing work anything that needs to get done she seems to be on the spot with it and then obviously you know working having a chance to, to work in concert with Nicholas Kitchen as well and just kind of helping to bring his vision for these next phases of the Institute to light. I mean, he's just, he came in guns blazing with just a, a, a ton of really cool ideas that, again, for me, coming into my first season, I have less of a basis for comparison to how it's worked in the past. And mm. again, not to say anything, you know, not, not to disparage anything that was done before, but it's just any time you're going to bring in a new sort of artistic leader with, with their own with their own strong vision, there's going to be some some changes around the edges. But he and and the whole the whole administration just has such a profound respect for everything that's been built up before it by Daniel Heifetz, and I mean it's just such a strong foundation to build on that the fact that the the core of this training is really just is so rock solid. It allows us to to build up these little pieces on the peripheries bringing in new programs um, but the, the fact that, that that core is in place of this combination of the 
the very intensive high-level instrument training in conjunction with this this unique performance and communication training that's so well established we're able to just roll in new programs into that paradigm and they they're kind of able to take off right from the get-go you know one or two years into into bringing in a new initiative they're kind of self-sufficient and have a great reputation and the word gets out to students i mean truly worldwide we've got i believe the final count for this coming season we've got students coming from 15 countries internationally so it's it's just it's really a testament to the the work that's been done over all these years since it was started back in, in 1996. Yes, and I'm. But gonna, I, I don't. I don't think I even got to your question of what I do day to day. That that um, was grand I'm because just realizing that now. You know, yeah, you, so, um, <laughs> you know the, the the marketing side of it is is kind of covers everything from, uh, you know, really staying staying engaged and up to date with sort of our local area and the local media markets and you know we're in Stanton so we've, we've got some kind of crossover to Charlottesville to the east uh, for some bigger events and we'll actually be doing some concerts in Charlottesville and in Richmond as well but then you know other markets Harrisonburg and Lexington right around us so just just staying engaged with all those folks you know in, in these in the age of of digital media there's just so many different platforms you've got to get the word out on so staying coordinated with all that. Another really, one of the more exciting things uh, in the early phases of still working on, you know, at the end of the day, you need you need something interesting to talk about. And from my days working with, as an independent artist and other independent artists, you know, you, you want to keep getting these interesting, this interesting content out. But at the end of the day, it's a group of, you know, whatever it is, four or five, six people in a band. You're spending most of your time sitting in a van and at gas stations. You know, at night you get to play a show and that's fun. But like, there's only so much, uh, so much exciting news to fabricate to be perfect to blow up the uh, popular conception of the glamorous lifestyle of a touring band. The Heifetz Institute, on the other hand, has this alumni database of 2,000 plus students at this point, most of whom are have gone on and are, and are engaged currently in just the most, you know, incredible things, performing all over the world, getting fellowships, parts of, you know, some of the premier ensembles in the world. So we just have, we have so many good stories to tell just by tapping into our own alumni database. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really mutually beneficial. You know, we, they're, they're possibly our best ambassadors, these premier students who have, who have come through the Institute, taken some of the training and really put it to use in their careers. So, you know, in, in that sense, it makes my job easy. I don't really have to stray too far to find, find a compelling story to put out there. Mm-hmm. There's just every week we're, we're, you know, coming across another one of our alumni doing, doing spectacular things. So it's, it's a matter of just keeping up with them, really. Gotcha. Uh, so that covers a lot of the marketing work. And on the development side, it, it's everything from grant writing the fundraising in, in all facets of it and coming up with new initiatives for how to really connect with, with the local, our, our local community in Stanton and, and around Augusta County. So for an example, a new program we kicked off this year are something we call scholarship teams. So for some of our, our loyal local supporters who have really you know been with the Institute since day one since the Institute moved to Stanton, helping them sort of fostering this this initiative of building up teams of 10 or so individuals or 10 or so couples 
to come up with scholarship funds, rather half scholarship or full scholarship to sponsor students, and they're they're sort of adopting the students for their their time in Stanton during the summer. Mm. So they're they're part of a meet and greet when the student arrives, and you know they'll sort of keep up with them throughout. They'll be able to attend some of the private lessons and chamber music coachings that the student takes part in. At the end of the institute, they'll also host a, a little private house concert where the student will perform. So it's a way, you know, we thought it would just be a fun idea to try something new and, and see how it would, you know, see what kind of interest there would be locally. And it's totally taken off. I mean, the people that are that have sort of signed on for this first year of it, they're so excited about the idea. And these are folks who have supported the Institute in the past, mm-hmm. mind you, but this concept of not supporting just the Institute, but supporting a single individual. Mm. And, you know, some of these, some of these, young musicians are traveling from across the world. So the fact that they're, you know, say coming from South Korea and ending up in Stanton, Virginia, yes. and they've got this, <laughs> this crew of people who are like just so excited to see them and welcome them and literally take them into their homes for times and show them around. I mean, it's, it's really wonderful. So there's, there's just so much, so much potential to continue to tap into with things like that. So just keeping an open ear and getting, you know, receiving feedback from the community as to what we could do to just continue to, to be a, a solid contributor to the arts and, and do everything we can on that front. Fantastic. All right, we're going to take a short break. We're having a marvelous conversation with Andrew Green, the Development and Marketing Manager of the Heifetz International Music Institute in Stanton, Virginia. And we're going to be right back. We're going to talk to more about some of the, well, some of the growth like YouTube and the things that are going on there. And, of course, the concerts and how the uh, the number of students and faculty and staff are, are, are growing. Everything's expanding, it seems. And that, that must come from development and marketing. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Andrew Green. And now, enjoy Watch Fire Music, featuring vocal artist Julia Wade singing Beautiful from her new CD, Sunday Morning. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Beautiful. 
Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Radio News Program. My guest today is Andrew Green, the new Development and Marketing Manager for the Heifetz International Music Institute in Stanton, Virginia. We've been talking a lot about you, and I and I do think your uh, your background in music, of your discipline of music, your particular type of music kind of really warms you to, especially since you've been on the road, to be able to appreciate and to, to glean and build on the Heifetz, making certain that the musicians they train are not just technically excellent, but are also open to and able to express their emotions through themselves as well as through their music. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And in, in that sense, it's really... it's cemented the that, that concept in my mind and the same, same thing I love about jazz you know the great players there is an expectation of, of a technical mastery but man w- without the the emotion and the passion behind it that mm. music can just get real cold real quickly and exactly the great players that you know I, I didn't necessarily grow up listening to jazz either it took me a while to come to it and it was finding it was really through those I think looking back in retrospect those most emotive composers and, and musicians, people like Monk, people like Mingus, you know, Coltrane and Miles. It's that that was my entry into getting into that music. Mm-hmm. And I mean there's just there's so much not cliche to say, but just so much soul behind it. Mm-hmm. Um and now kind of in some ways I'm going through that same that that same entryway uh into the much deeper into the classical music world than I've ever been before. And just everything about the the music that the institute presents, what they choose to teach, and what they choose to present at shows, is that idea of that emotion and conveying that to the audience is first and foremost. If there's a piece that's not going to allow the performers to really tap into that, that piece is going to get cut from the program. Mm-hmm. Whether whether it's the piece's fault, whether it's the performer's fault. I mean, you know, it, it's pretty ruthless if it's not if it's not a you know I I help put together just in print not actually in the programming but say you know here's the program we've got to print up for tonight so i'll lay it out on the paper i get a call you know the morning of they say you know what this this piece is out it's not going to happen not not resonating so uh you know i I love that idea that even though it's this centuries-old tradition it's almost like nothing is precious you know Mm -hmm. everything is up for interpretation and and re-examination and uh really with that goal of this this really intense connection, intense emotional moment with an audience, and that even goes down to the the smallest details of how you know performers are kind of helped and coached along the way how to walk on stage. Mm-hmm. They're they're they, they're going to take movement classes, freedom of expression. So just it's really it's very pragmatic in a lot of ways. Yes. It's just, if you if if you want to achieve this goal of of generating this moment on a stage. Here's how to get there. It's not, yes. uh, it's not this divine secret. Here are some things you can do to get there to really to further yourself and ultimately your career as a musician because that's what's going to separate the, the people who have the talent but maybe not that, that flame to being these people that are, you know, I'm, I'm watching it from some of our recent alumni. They're, they're really becoming the, the next generation of stars. In, in the field. Yes, and and breathing new fresh air uh, into classical music, which which is uh, not always been as I think I mentioned in my experience in the 
the last segment, has not always been pulsating with emotion. The music was sure. beautiful, but you need the artist to, to, to be a part of and engulfed in the music. But anyway, what, what about... Yeah, and, and go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, that really all goes back to, to Daniel Heifetz. I mean, that's how yes. he approached it. And that was his vision for starting the Institute. And, you know, I think he, he looked around at the landscape of, of classical music and dwindling audiences and says, well, it's not the audience's fault, it's yes. our fault. Yes. It's the performer's fault. Yeah. So let's, let's do something about this. Let's not complain about it. Let's bring the audiences back in. Let's re-energize them. Let's awaken a, a new generation of, of classical music fans through, you know, through showing that this is energetic, passionate, uh, emotional music. Exactly. And I loved my conversation with Daniel Heifetz about that. Tell us about the YouTube. Is it new? And, and whether it is or not, tell us about it. It's it's not new, but it's the kind of thing that takes a while to build up. And so maybe what's new is the fact that it's, it's starting to really reach this saturation point of, uh, of becoming a, a bit of a, a phenomenon in the in the classical music world, in, in the in the digital online mm -hmm. space. Really, one of what I would say, my, my impression of coming on board to the Institute back in December, from my perspective, one of the savviest moves that was made by, by the management was to really invest heavily in, in the multimedia production. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not just, not just hoping someone has an iPhone and is capturing or maybe setting up a GoPro on the side of the stage. I mean, a full on, full on multimedia production. We have a, a wonderful, wonderful team who does that. One main guy, the director, his name is Matt Sorrentino. He lives out in Charlottesville. Uh, very talented audio and video engineer. So he kind of works with us year round, but then he leads a team that, that swells over the summer season to really capture all this content. And so when I came on board and started to familiarize myself with the kind of stuff that was posted on the YouTube channel and getting a sense of what's popular, what sort of things are catching on, you know, I could see it was a really nice, uh, nice library that they had built up. Mm -hmm. Then I, I started going back through these hard drives and said, oh my God, what we've got posted is like literally just scratching the surface. I mean, mm. there's just, they, they capture everything. They, mm. they true, and there's this, Kind of philosophy that uh, just you know that the the capture is cheap. You know we we've got hard drive space, so just get it all out there. Mm -hmm. And Ben and the others really have a, a great eye and a great ear. You, you, when you're in the room for a special performance, you kind of know it. So, you know we'll we'll bookmark those and come back to them, and those are the ones that are going to get edited down and curated and, and posted. So part of part of the whole you know YouTube and social media game, it's just, it's sticking with it. It's just getting getting a lot of good content up there in the same way I was saying before how I don't really have to work too hard to fabricate these interesting stories to share about what our, our students and all that are doing. The, the students and the faculty are doing all the, the work of creating the content for us. You know, mm. it's just a matter of getting it out there. And it's certainly within the, the Summer Institute and the, the music festival sphere uh, you know, among our peer institutions from what I've seen, there's there's no other one really invested to the extent that, that we have in, in capturing this. It's a wonderful asset for our students, too. Mm -hmm. Many of our students who I, I mentioned that have gone on and are continuing to build up, I mean, truly, truly impressive careers playing with, with you know, string quartets and orchestras worldwide. When you go to their own websites, often what they'll have are the Heifetz videos posted because they... 
they've yet to get a better video than what they got when they were a 19-year-old oh. playing with ISIS because because of that investment, because of that priority that, that we've placed on capturing this stuff. It's just, it's an acknowledgement that that's so much of, of where that, that space is going. You know, yes. if you want to build the, the reputation and the notoriety, that's the way to do it. And, uh, you know, just anecdotally, you know, you can look at the numbers, you can look at the, the increase in the percentage of views and all that. And it's great. It's really important. They're great analytics to have. But one of our, our kind of recent, prize students who, who's going to be coming back to the Institute once again this summer and joined us for a number of high-fits on tour performances recently, uh, Dominic Lee, who's a cellist from New Zealand. He talks about, you know, he, he meets other performers out at, at festivals out there who heard of high-fits solely because they happen to catch a YouTube video of oh, one wow. of our performers. So it really, you know, it, it's it's reinvesting back. It, it's paying dividends for the Institute itself because it's, it's helping to attract some of these next generation of great students. So it just, not only does it get the word out to other fans, but it's just building up the stature and the reputation within the music community as well. Fantastic. It really is. I mean, well, tell us, because a lot of your programs are expanding, especially this summer, 2019. The number of concerts, is, is that's up as well? Uh, tell us tell us about all this expansion, Mr. Development yeah, Director. So- one of the, the really exciting things for the summer, there's going to be two new programs. They're sort of in their, their pilot testing year. One is we've added, finally, the, the rest of the, the string and family. We'll have double bases for the first time on campus. So we've got Samuel Suggs, who's a wonderful, wonderful young bass player, can truly do anything. Um, I've got friends in the in the jazz world as well, who when I told them that Sam Suggs was on board, they said, oh, I've done jazz gigs with Sam. I didn't even know he does classical music. He's going to be leading that. He's at James Madison University right in Harrisonburg. And then, very exciting, we're going to be offering a Baroque vocal workshop. Mm-hmm. That's going to be led by David Stern and Dominique LaBelle. We've got 11 students who are going to come and really study the masterworks of Baroque vocal music, opera music. And that's going to culminate in a performance of arias by Handel at the Blackfriars Playhouse, oh. the American Shakespeare Center, which is very cool because yeah. actually part of their summer programming is they're going to be performing Julius Caesar, and we'll be performing arias from Julius the, Caesar. So yeah. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of good synergy uh, between the two institutions, as there are always, really always is. They're yes. a, a very very great partner institution for them and we've been presenting concerts at their their Blackfriars Playhouse for a number of years and we'll be continuing to do so this summer and that's just part of the, the Festival of Concert season which, which runs parallel to the Institute so as we've kind of been talking around this whole time the, the training that the students receive at the Institute sort of three pillars the first is the, the instrument training which is going to be from really some of the, the top faculty in the world, conservatories mm-hmm. all over the world. Then that performance and communication training, which are going to cover modules, like I said, and everything from public speaking and voice training and freedom of expression and health and wellness. So all that that kind of that secret special sauce that's going to take you from being a great player to being a, a truly expressive, masterful performer. And then the final piece of it, in order for those two things to really gel, you've got to perform. Yes. Again, the whole point is not to do this in a practice room, it's to do it on a stage in front of people. So we provide just 
really a myriad of, of performance opportunities. And this year we're looking at 46 concerts over the, the six-week period. And that's really how we engage and connect with our local community. Sure. It, it's really, we like to think it's this incredible resource, I believe, offhand. I think 14 of the 46 concerts are free. Yes. And mm-hmm. we, we program in a number of different venues. So you can get everything from sort of the traditional concert hall experience to a free afternoon matinee show in a local church. We do house concerts. Uh, we do outdoor concerts. So it's really also rethinking the idea of what a classical music concert is at yes. its core. I mean, it, yes. it doesn't have to be in just one kind of place. It's really music that can be presented and enjoyed everywhere by hopefully as wide a uh, diverse group of people as we can pull in from our community. Fabulous. We should probably, because we're running out of time, but let's give some website information where people can get tickets and also find out which concerts are indeed admission-free. And then I want to talk a bit about, you're still at Baldwin, right? Yes, Mary Baldwin University. Okay. Remind us of the website and how we buy tickets and how we learn more about the Heifetz. So you can go to Institute. Dot org and that's H-E-I-S-E-T-Z. And now we'll have all the information. We've got the, the Festival of Concerts calendar posted up there. Tickets are on sale for all 46 shows now. You can make your reservations. Most of the venues you're able to uh, actually you know buy and, and reserve a specific seat, which is also a new thing. That... And so, yeah, that's going to have kind of the, the latest and, and greatest news. You can sign up for our email newsletter. Throughout the, the festival season, we'll be sending updates and, and different sort of ticket offers and just late breaking news. So, you know, be sure to sign up for the mailing list there. And yeah, I would say just get on there if you're if you're local to the Central Virginia area and haven't been to a show yet. You absolutely got to do it. If you're a little further afield, if you're in the D.C. area, it's a, a pretty easy two two and a half hour trip down to Stanton, and it's it's another world. It's, yes. you know, if, if you yes. haven't been to Stanton, then you really owe it to yourself. It's a, a very, very special little place. And I think it's part of part of what makes the Institute special is, is really that setting. This, yes. It's really, it's just a, a stunning, beautiful little mountain town and just wonderful local businesses and there's a ton of support for the Institute locally and vice versa. You know, we mm-hmm. bring in, gosh, we're going to have, I think, 168 students this year plus 70-something faculty and 30-something staff. So, you know, we bring in our own little mm-hmm. village for the summer who yes. just loves being there, and they support the local businesses, and the parents of the students come and stay at the local hotels. So it's, uh, you know, we're, we're lucky to be part of such a supportive and, and thriving local community and economy down there. And, you know, I, I think also with 78 faculty coming in for the summer and I think 168 students, that's quite a... A remarkable ratio, yes? It really is, yeah. Um, and another thing that many of our students really enjoy is the focus of both the training and the performances are really all on solo work and chamber work. Mm. So, you know, while, while orchestral training is great and there's, you know, other institutions that, that do offer great access to that, that's really not what we do and mm-hmm. we, we've really specialized in smaller ensemble so everyone is every single student there is really getting a chance to to engage in these small and solo ensembles and you know for a lot of people that's that's where they're 
their preference and their passion is. So when it comes to that type of training and performance, we're, we're really second to none, I believe. And that's also reflected in the faculty we bring in for that. You know, we're bringing in the specialists yes. for that. Um, and, and kind of the, the embodiment of that is the uh, Ashkenazi Kirschbaum Chamber Music Seminar that we offer. And that's for uh, this year. There'll be 11 students who are, who are enrolled and will be attending tuition-free. That was a, an important measure taken by the Institute last year to offer full full scholarships for those really elite students mm-hmm. and they're here they're going to be at the institute really only focused on the chamber works and then we have kind wow. of uh, our tuesday night uh, offerings concert offerings are going to be mostly focused on on those performers and, and that repertoire fabulous all right andrew i'm sorry that we have to go this has been amazing we've been uh, finding out all about andrew green the development and marketing manager and more about all the expansion and growth and beautiful development at the heifetz international music institute my best to everyone there and my apologies to uh, jennifer who i f- neglected to mention but you mentioned her andrew so she is not forgotten she is a marvelous asset at the institute as are Ben Rowe and Nick Kitchen and, of course, Daniel Heifetz and you, Andrew Green. Thank you so very much for being on the show. We really appreciate you and all that the Heifetz Institute brings to our humanity. And it is worth the drive. I live in Washington, D.C., and I've made the drive to Stanton. It's a beautiful drive, and what waits for you in this summer at the Heifetz Institute is more than worth the drive. Thank you so much, Andrew Green. We wish you all the very best. Thank you, Marcello, and we hope you'll join us again this summer. Just let us know. My pleasure. Also, before we go, one more time, just give us that uh, website. Sure. That's heifetzinstitute.org. That's H-E-I-F-E-T-Z. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. We wish you all the best. See you this summer. Bye now. Bye. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Australian director Bruce Beresford has been a well-respected director since his 1980 breakthrough film, Break a Morant. With such Oscar-recognized films as Driving Miss Daisy and Tender Mercies to his credit, it should come as no surprise that he is a master of manipulated emotion. Mao's Last Dancer tells the true story of Li Kunsen, plucked as a child from farm life in rural China to become a state-trained ballet dancer. Li was a part of Mao Zedong's plan to develop great athletes and artists who could demonstrate to the world the triumph of Chinese communism. He is ultimately chosen by the state to travel to America, representing the superiority of his homeland. Lee interns with the Houston Ballet Theater and becomes a star. When he decides to defect and remain in America, a potentially embarrassing major international incident looms. It's tempting to write off this film as jingoist propaganda and a manipulative tearjerker, but it is also a story well told, with great beauty in the dance and a basis in historical fact. Yes, Mao's Last Dancer is touching and magnificent entertainment. Tears do flow, and that's just fine with us. Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.
Memories and Memorials, Maestros and Madmen, Missives and Miracles, The Truth That Hurts, America's Character Decay Neither Began With Our 2016 Election Nor Will End With Our 2020 Census and Election Duo, The Truth That Sets Us Free, Most of America's Problems Have Come From Placing Too Much Trust in Leaders in Both Public and Private Sectors Who Think, Act, and Look Like Trump Pence. So this Memorial Day weekend, may our memories of mothers memorizing faces of missing children and loved ones in uniforms snatched away, let us honor all who have been subjugated by men believing themselves masters of all, promising them never again. Haunted by what's been sacrificed, who best reflects American idealism? Representative Justin Amash, Machiavellian Barr, or Madman DJT? Who suffers in the dissonance of missives tweeted to distract coal miners and manufacturing workers from broken promises, if not family farms and small businesses traded to death by a money launderer? What's trending with Trump-Pence administration for people of color, affordable health care, and women and children? Will a president allowed to evade subpoenas honor decisions of federal judges? If Justice Anthony Kennedy, Rod Rosenstein, and Robert Mueller want America's heroes, are we the people all that stands between American democracy and mob rule? Why are Americans at Trump rallies hypnotized into following, quoting here, an existence unmolested by the rumbling of a soul? Unquote. How does America survive McConnell's judiciary takedown, Barr's DOJ intelligence agency's invasion, and Trump's projecting his ignorance of constitutional law, particularly high crimes, misdemeanors, and treason, onto his political enemies, the American people? Before December 7, 1941, most American citizens and their elected officials had little desire to enter a Second World War, so we waited and hoped for a miracle. However, we learned while there is good in most people, some only emit moral bankruptcy. Before September 11, 2001, most American citizens and our elected officials thought oil barons and gas guzzlers more praiseworthy than Henrietta Lacks. However, Bush-Cheney-Rice-Wolfowitz mushroom cloud manipulation of both facts and Congress denied us the hard truth except that of young one-percent volunteers marching off to war for the one-percenters too big to fail or jail, depositing all of us into the Friends of Dick Cheney's 2008 Recession Club, yielding madmen making derivative memories, yearning to maximize a new Iranian chapter of memorials. In 2019, we're left engulfed in needless trade wars because of the madness of a mischievous juvenile-in-chief motivated in Roosevelt Room to master intimidation of clingers-on, magnetized by malfeasance. Memories of Fifth Avenue, the halls of Congress, city food deserts, rural neighbors without high-speed broadband, and Americans living in Puerto Rico deserted confirms our land of the free is overshadowed by a prince of darkness. However, while much of America's history has been maneuvered for personal gain by older Caucasian men, there are fewer men maddened by the fear of the 2045 missive. 
muffled memories will suddenly manifest with a mighty righteousness, propelling all Native Americans, all people of color, LGBTQ, and constitutionally locked-out female Americans to lavish on any face paler than their own, bearing a penis, the same maltreatment they received from wannabe masters of greed and oppression before December 31st, 2044. But fear not, for most Americans are not petty like Trump, hypocritical as Pence, hateful as McConnell, small as Mnuchin. Most presidents don't rip children from their parents. Most VPs don't ignore Jefferson's separation of church and state wisdom, although admittedly too many political clones drunk on McConnell's magic potion put party before 99% of Americans. Most aren't bigots who financially honor murderers of Native Americans over lifesavers like Harriet Tubman. Now on this Memorial Day 2019, let us ask ourselves, when will our short-term memory memorialize the bait-and-switch from Garland to Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, and adjudicate operatic mood-swinger Lindsey Graham, first chair Gracely, super hatch, and their masterly maestro Mitch McConnell? Most men are neither rapists nor pedophiles, and most in public service put their lives on the lines to save others. Most Americans, particularly teachers, first responders, and Trump-maligned FBI agents and news reporters, are pro-life for all lives, from Alpha to Omega. Most Americans never stop hoping for the best life ever for their family and friends. Most know Planned Parenthood doesn't murder anyone, and most American administrations have rarely locked children in cages. Knowing, perhaps, Guantanamo and Quantico notwithstanding, most Americans abhor torture, and know an extremely stable genius wouldn't make Trump's access Hollywood tape. Most of us know when a potentially treasonous target under suspicion feels cornered and trapped Real patriots miraculously defend America, memorializing, ask what you can do for your country. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.